0: Welcome to the AsimovCast, short bursts of joy, thoughtfulness and inspiration from the works of Isaac Asimov. I'm Lozzy. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at AsimovCast or email to AsimovCast at gmail.com. This week we'll be covering the stories, the Tersenternary Incident, uh, which I cannot pronounce, and First Law. The Tercentenary Incident, got it, was first published in 1976 in the August issue of Ellery Queen's Mystery Magazine. It's the 4th of July, 2076, 300 years from the Declaration of Independence. The US is no longer a nation, but part of a federation of all humanity on Earth, the Moon and beyond. The President of the US is, however, still the single most powerful figure in the Planetary Council. The federation is fracturing however and the 57th president Hugo Allen Winkler has minimal ability to save it. He's running for re-election and the opposition is dedicated to the destruction of the federation. Lawrence Edwards, hey, I know that name. Is an energy is an energy is an agent of the service and is observing the president give a speech when suddenly he disappears into dust a seeming assassination. However, The president's voice rings out. It was a robot decoy that was killed. The president goes on to deliver an incredible speech that rallies the nation. Three months later and Edwards has been summoned to the White House to speak with Francis Yannick, a senior advisor to the president, in an attempt to dissuade him from continuing an investigation of the incident. No one has ever been apprehended, but the country is doing well. The president has renewed vigour and the Federation is stronger than ever. Edwards remains frustrated that no one is pursuing a perpetrator, but is counselled heavily by the White House not to continue to stir the mud of the situation. The matter is elevated by the nature of the assassination, a seeming disintegration, which should have required incredible energy. Edwards has deduced that an incredible new weapon must have been developed, one with extraordinary power, and therefore extraordinary secrecy. Further to this, his view is that only one person could have the authority to deploy it, and it would be the President himself. He plays this idea out with Janak, who is appalled by the idea and asserts that the President would never have done such a thing. Edwards is grateful to hear that, and reveals his actual theory. It wasn't the man President who did this, it was the robot decoy. As he rolls out the theory, including notable changes in the President's personality, not to mention the estrangement of his children. Yannick is still skeptical, although increasingly less so. He claims that the first law would prevent this, but Edwards argues that perhaps the saving of the Federation and of billions of people in it might be a greater benefit that overrules the first law. Edwards abjures Yannick to observe the president and judge if he's dramatically changed. Yannick pushes back What if he is a robot? Hasn't he still been a superior president? Edwards makes a thin end of the wedge argument, maybe a good robot now, but what stops a bad robot in 20 years, or a total takeover of robots? Edward argues that humans should never be rolled by robots. He leaves the matter in Yannick's hands, saying he trusts him, but will take the matter to US robotics if needs be. As Edward leaves, Yannick reflects on his own that Edwards is utterly convinced by this. Yannick still has the disintegrator, though, and after all, he was the one who assassinated the president. So, things that uh, inspired me or made me think uh, I think it's pretty clear this was written actually just around the time of the bicentennial, so it was uh, a nice, interesting reflection piece to project forward 100 years. Um, it's interesting that we have um, a bit of robot paranoia um, sort of playing a little bit with. Robots as a, as a different race and what impact that would have that we've seen in some of the other stories. Um, and I quite like the opening open ending. I always like a bit of an open ending uh, to a story. Um, where I found joy, uh, I think this was our first hint of the Zeroth Law, um, the idea that something could supersede the first law of robotics. Um, and um, yeah, no, I just it's it's a fun story. It's a little bit a little bit lightweight, but it's a fun story nonetheless. First Law was published in 1956 in the October issue of Fantastic Universe, and uh, this is the first of the Powell and Donovan stories, Um, of which you'll hear quite a few more in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Mike Donovan is telling stories in a bar. He knew a robot who breached the First Law. Ten years ago on Titan, a new type of robot, one especially designed for Titan, was deployed, the MA Range. They received three of them and called them Emma One, Emma Two, and Emma Three. Up until now, humans hadn't been able to work on Titan during stormy season, which was 80% of the time. During the snows, you couldn't see things a hundred yards away, and compasses didn't work as Titan had no magnetic field. The robots, however, had brand new military vibro detectors, which allowed them to find their way and mine all through the revolution. Emma, too, kept wandering off and had to be coaxed back. Finally, she disappeared completely. With two days left of the calm season, Donovan volunteered to be the person who took a journey without robot guidance, as they were one robot short. However, the storm came early and quickly, so he set his aircar down and started running back to base with the low titanium gravity. Suddenly, Donovan sees a small object ahead of him, and he's terrified of this storm pup a vicious thing that can survive Titan's storms. Just when he's lining up a laser shot, Emma II arrives. Thinking himself rescued, he orders her to get the pup and return him to base. She looks at him and says, Master, don't shoot, Then sprints towards the pup, scoops it up and runs off, leaving Donovan to die in the storm. This was seemingly a breach of the first law, by inaction allowing a human to come to harm. But Donovan finds his way back to base, and some time later, Emma 2 returns. But it's not a storm pup she returns with, it's a baby robot, Emma Jr. Emma 2's motherly love overruled the first law. So things that inspired me or made me think. Um, I like the fact that they use revolution rather than year. Um, year being an Earth revolution, but obviously a Titanian one around uh, Saturn would be less, or different, <laughs> I should say. Um, Asimov meant this story as a satire. Um, it was not never intended to be taken as a serious science fiction. Um, again, we have weird gendering of robots. Almost all the times, uh, r- robots are gendered as male. I think the few exceptions we've seen are this case right now, when we've got um, a motherly instinct, and then back in... Um, Back in the day with Sally, uh, the robot car. Um, again, I don't, I'm not quite sure what he's trying to do with this story. I think he bet it just as a bit of fluff, really. Uh, where I found joy, um, I quite like the sort of unreliable narrator which is, I guess, a kind way of saying bullshitter uh, that you get as Donovan as a point of view. Um, I've not come across these characters before, so I'm excited for the next few stories uh, with Donovan and Powell and they sort of quite relaxed uh, way that they interact with each other and communicate and tell these stories around robots. They're a little bit, little bit lighter weight, a little bit more fun, uh, and we'll see how they play out. And thank you for joining me. You can find me at Mean Englishman on Twitter. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at AsimovCast. The theme music is courtesy of Alexei Chastillin from Pixabay. Please email your thoughts, what inspires you, and where you find joy in Asimov to AsimovCast at gmail.com. Next week, we'll continue the Donovan Powell stories with Runaround and Reason. Go now. Do not harm humanity or by inaction, allow humanity to come to harm.